today we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2 to start, and then we're going to be in 1 Samuel for kind of a story to kick off today. Uh, we're continuing our series. Actually, today will be the finish of our series, uh, Transformed. We're looking at uh, how God, there's, there's these three things that we've looked at through the series. Today is the third part of this. Uh, three transformational forces that I believe are the three most transformational things that actually can produce real and lasting change in our lives. Uh, you know, I'm not interested in just playing religious games. I want to actually see God at work in my life, in the life of my family, in the lives of people in our church and in our community. We're believing for North Iowa to be impacted by Jesus as he already has done uh, tr so tremendously. And there's so many more things coming in this next year that we're believing God to do and, and uh, not only reaching Mason City, but other communities around. And, and you know, it all begins with uh, these, these things that happen in us. And so we started with the, week one was about the love of God. God's love is the most transformational thing that, that the world has ever seen. The world has been steeped in darkness, the brokenness of sin. If you want to know what happened to God's good world, sin came. Man rebelled against God, and we are living in the effects and the consequences of a broken, fallen world. But Jesus came to rescue us, to seek and save that which was lost. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of God's word. And so we saw how God's love is what drives God to rescue us, to save us, to transform us. Last week, we looked at the power of, of God's word, the, the Bible, to transform our hearts in our lives. Today, we're looking at God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, at work in our lives, uh, beginning with when we receive Jesus, but also in our lives as Christians, as uh, we grow in knowing God, the Holy Spirit does a powerful, life-changing work in us. And so our main kind of text through this series has been Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the key here, is this contrast. First, you see conforming, which is actually a change, but it's a change uh, here that comes from an outward external force, that something is trying to change the outside in a way that's contrary to what's on the inside. And here he's writing to Christians. He says, don't be conformed to the world that is trying to make you after its image. When you've been born again, you've been made in the image of God. You've been redeemed, renewed. You've been saved. And so he says, don't be conformed by outward pressure and outward external change. See, uh, the, the world tries to bring pressure, things like, things like shame and fear and, and uh, all kinds of other forces contrary to the truth of God's word and the love of God. These forces come to be, bring uh, an outward change that is contrary to the nature of God within you. Uh, and so we're going to look at that. But also, uh, it, there's also something even in religion. Religion is man's attempt to try to change the outside without the power to change the inside without the ability to change the heart. And so Christianity is more than just uh, changing our behavior and trying to be better people. I shared this last week, a great quote that, uh, you know, God didn't come to, Jesus didn't come to make bad men better. He came to make dead men live. And so he came to rescue us, save us, uh, transform us. And he does that through a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So, so religion conforms, the world conforms, but it can't, is powerless to bring real and lasting change. And, and the good news of, see, the way the Holy Spirit works is he begins on the inside and does something on the inside of you that begins to affect your entire life. 
And that's what we're looking at today, First uh, Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to actually start a new series. I'll give a quick plug for that. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, praying dangerous prayers, dangerous prayers. I'm excited about this. Uh, but I want us to look at this, First Samuel 10. Uh, beginning in verse 5 is a story uh, kind of plucked from uh, what is going to be a life-changing event for the first king of Israel. This is the man before David, and most of us know of King Saul because of his later life and his failure, his, his, how he turned away from God and became jealous of David. Most of us know the, la- the latter part of his story, but he actually started, uh, started well. And this is actually the part where God calls Saul uh, and he uses Samuel the prophet to call him. And he has this kind of interesting story. He's looking for his, I think it was his, his father had lost some donkeys, and so he's out looking for his donkeys. Uh, whenever you lose your donkey, you got to go find it. Uh, so he's out looking. He's, he's just going about his, you know, kind of a, a, what it, he thinks is an ordinary routine task, a mundane task. But he doesn't know he's about to have a God encounter. And sometimes we think that the God encounters, God moments are going to be in these big spectacular things, but sometimes God just meets us on the road. He meets us in the moments where we're just changing diapers, we're just taking care of our kids, we're just being faithful in our jobs, we're, we're, we're building our marriage, we're just taking, we're doing the things we've done every day that we know to do, but we're, we're honoring God. And it's in those moments where God shows up and everything can change. And so Saul has this encounter with God, and, and, and Samuel the prophet begins to tell him. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, uh, verse 5, he says, you're going to go to a place called the Hill of God. Verse 5, but the Hill of God is also where the Philistine garrison is. It's, let me just say this. Uh, don't ever evaluate a situation, a circumstance, a family, a life, uh, you know, and say, well, this is what God can do based on the circumstances because the Hill of God was occupied territory. The Hill of God, what belonged to God, was occupied by a Philistine garrison, by the enemy. Sometimes the enemy knows more than we do uh, what God wants to do. And so he positions, he fights, he, he he, he, he wages warfare to prevent the purpose of God. So, so it's the hill of God, but it's where the enemy is also occupying. And it says it's going to happen when you're, there, when you're there, when you come to the city, Saul, that you're going to meet a group of prophets that are coming down from this mountain, from this high place, from the hill of God, and they've got stringed instruments. It's the worship team. Uh, they got a tambourine. Uh, we don't have tambourines on the stage. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but did I say that out loud? Okay. Okay. Uh, the tambourine, a flute, a harp. So they're, they're worshiping, and while they're worshiping, they're also prophesying. What does it mean to prophesy? It doesn't mean just to tell the future. Biblically speaking, it means to just simply say what God's saying. And so they're declaring what God is saying as they're coming down from this place of worship. And, and Samuel tells Saul, something's going to happen to you. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you're going to do what they're doing. You're going to speak what God says. You're going to prophesy with them. And here's the key I want you to catch today. And you're going to be turned into another man. You're going to be turned into another man. You've been one way, but now you're going to be different. You've experienced one course of life, but now you're going to experience something brand new. Why? What was the difference? It wasn't even that these guys were worshiping, that the Holy Spirit's working through them. It's that what they had on the mountain was about to impact Saul in the valley. And what we do as the church is we're worshiping. Other people are encountering the presence of God. Other lives are being transformed. There's power in your worship. There's power in your prayers. As as you're, as you're spending time with Jesus, he's impacting your family. And, and so they're, they're, they're coming down from the mountain, and Saul 
experiences the Holy Spirit like he never has before. It says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he's going to be changed into another man. Verse 7, let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, because God is with you. Now, now Saul's talking with Samuel, and as he turns from him in verse 9, it says, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. So here's what I want you to see from the story. First off, that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. And we're going to see in a moment how that is both related to what happens to us in the New Testament, but also in, in some ways how it's different, uh, how, we, how we experience the Holy Spirit as New Testament believers, Christians, post-cross, that, that we, how we experience the new life of Jesus and the fullness of what he has for us. But I want you to catch this because most people live their lives, even sadly in church, without knowing the person of the Holy Spirit, knowing who he is. I think sometimes the church, unfortunately, teaches the Holy Spirit, who's who the Bible says is is more than just he's not a thing or an energy or a, or some kind of power or anything like that. He's a person, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, God, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so you see throughout the Bible the the the, the God at work through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so so we see uh, th- this is so important because sometimes you know we get the Father. You know, Jason gave that illustration at the beginning of worship describing his own heart as an earthly father for his children and how that is a picture, although many times because we're not perfect parents, it's incomplete, but it's a picture of the father's love for us. We can get that uh, generally, you know, especially if we've had good pictures of, of a father, we can get that. We, we generally can get Jesus, the son, the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross, but sometimes the Holy Spirit's kind of like, you know, the, and unfortunately the church treats the Holy Spirit is kind of like, you know, we got Thanksgiving dinner coming up in a few weeks, uh, a couple weeks actually, <laughs> less than two. Get ready. Thaw out the turkeys. And just, that's just your, that's your PSA, public service announcement. Um, I just have to help somebody. Don't say you haven't been warned. Um, but but here's, here's the thing, you know, some of us, it's kind of like when you first, you know, are, are dating somebody, you're, you're bringing your, you want to introduce them to your family, but then you bring them to Thanksgiving, and there's that one relative you hope doesn't show up. None of you have that. Good. Okay. There's that one cousin that you're like, I hope they don't tell that story. I hope that that way. Because, and unfortunately, tragically, that's how the church sometimes treats the Holy Spirit. Like he's he's like the the the, the part of of the Godhead, the Trinity that we, that we ignore in the church, and sadly, the result of that is the church doesn't know what they have available in the Holy Spirit, and I believe misses on the life transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I've I've had people in this church in the last year tell me I've grown up in church and I've never heard this, and I keep hearing that over and over and over, and it's not like there's anything terribly profound that I'm talking about with the Holy Spirit, but it's just so new for many people because they're never, it never is talked about. And I think that's tragic because God's word is filled with the activity of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this. Um, so the Holy Spirit's third person Trinity. God exists co-equally, co-eternally as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said this, John 16, verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And here he's talking to his disciples just as he's about to go to the cross, as he's about to be buried in the tomb, resurrected, and then ascend to heaven. He says, it's better for you, to your advantage, that I go away. Now, I don't know any of us that would say, I, I wouldn't want Jesus there walking with me. 
Jesus says something pretty profound. He says, guys, it's actually to your advantage that I go to heaven and am seated at the right hand of the Father because he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. Beginning at the day of Pentecost, he pours out the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he, you know, this is so important because he says it's your, to your advantage. Why is that to your advantage? Well, Jesus, God the Son, you know, Son of God became the Son of Man. God humbled himself, was born in a, from the womb that he created which is just the miracle of, of, of God becoming man, that Jesus came in that manger. The Savior of the world was born, that the, the, the Word became flesh. We talk about that at Christmas, but this is so amazing. And then Jesus not only lived his life sinlessly, but humbled himself and died on a cross to take our sin and shame. But before he goes to the cross, He's walking around, he's healing the sick, he's opening blind eyes, he's teaching, he's doing all these things, but because he's fully God and fully man, he sleeps sometimes. It's in the New Testament, read it. He sleeps in the boat, he goes on the mountain and prays, he goes to sleep, he, he, he does different things, he's, he's resting, and, and not only that, but he's in one place at one time, and so, you know, you got guys like Peter who never stop talking, and the other disciples can't get a word in. They line up. They want to get his attention. They want to talk to him. The crowds would surround him. And, and Jesus says, listen, as, as good as it's been, it's to your advantage that I go because someone else is coming, that, another helper. And why is that to your advantage? Because the Holy Spirit is not just in Galilee. He's not just in Jerusalem. He's not just in a church building. The Holy Spirit is available for every single person. Every person, everywhere, you can encounter and experience the Holy Spirit. You can talk to God in prayer. You can spend time with God. And he's described as the helper. He's the standby. He's the one who comes alongside you to help you, to comfort you, to strengthen you. He says, if I depart, I'm going to send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, he's going to do three things here. He describes and highlights. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. So, let me just say this. We'll talk about in a moment how the Holy Spirit transforms us. But, but let me help somebody today, and maybe this will help someone who's been praying for someone in their life for change to happen. We all probably have people that we, you know, are hoping and praying that God does something in their life, in their heart, in their, in, in their minds, in, in their whatever it is, that, that God would set them free, that God would heal their life, that God would deliver them. Whatever it is, we're praying for them. Can I just remind you that you and I are not the ones that change people? And this is so important. And even me as a pastor, my job is not, in fact, I am completely incapable of changing one person. I can't even change me. <laughs> I can't even change my dog. I'm trying. <laughs> but you know, I know the one who does change, who does change hearts, who does change lives, and he's the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so important as the church that we know and walk with him, know, walk with God, know God, experience God, create an environment as the church, just like these prophets coming down from the mountain. They're worshiping, they're sacrificing the Lord, they're honoring God, and what they're doing is changing the environment. Too many times, right now especially, the church is reacting to darkness instead of changing the room. We're complaining about how bad things are instead of bringing light where there's dark. 
Because there's some souls that need to encounter what you and I carry. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes people. So let's start with us. What does he do? How does he change us? How does he work in our lives? The first thing he does is the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 16, he continuing to describe the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, talking to Christians, to the disciples, to the followers of Jesus, says, you know him. For he dwells with you, and a, he's about to be, something's about to change, and what was going to change was the cross. What was going to happen was the resurrection, and Jesus was going to tear a veil in the temple, and, and, and God's presence was going to go from a building to a heart. Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit, he's been with you, but he's about to be in you. That's the difference between Saul and you and I. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Holy Spirit would work for a season and for a moment and come upon prophets, priests, and kings, but the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in the heart of every single Christian. The Bible says you are the house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. House of God is not just the building we worship in. It's what you and I are. Because the day we put our faith in Jesus, we're given a new nature. And our heart becomes his home. Jesus, in John 3, is having a conversation with a religious leader who's seeing things in Jesus he's never seen before. He knows religion. He knows ritual. He knows tradition. But he sees in Jesus something that's life-transforming. He says, There's n- nobody talks like you, Jesus. Nobody does what you do. And, and, and he's meeting with Jesus secretly because he doesn't want to get kicked out of the religious club. This man's Nicodemus. He, he's sitting with Jesus, asking him questions, and Jesus tells him something very important. John chapter 3, verse 3. This is, of course, before John three sixteen, which we all would know, or most of us would know. Here's what it says. Jesus tells him, most surely I say to you, unless one is born again. You know, they talk about all the time, you know, born-again Christians usually is like labeling a voting block. <laughs> but, but being born again has less to do with just, you know, philosophies we subscribe to or, or denominations or what church we go to. It has everything to do with what happens on the inside of your heart and mind. And he says, unless one is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. He, he, he didn't say, unless one, you know, even joins a church, prays enough prayers, reads enough of the Bible, jumps through enough hoops. You know, it's kind of like when uh, I, I love to go to Disney, Disney World, and take my kids. And there's, before each ride, you know, I remember that as they were little, there was always that, like, awkward moment where they'd have to go up and, and stand by the measurement where it says, like, you have to be this tall to ride this ride. And I always kind of tell them, hey, stand up just a little bit, just, just a little bit higher. And, and then I'd get them on the ride, and they'd be terrified. And Jenna's like, I told you they were too little. <laughs> And sometimes that's how we approach God and that's how we approach church. We, we have signs that say you must be this good, this holy, this righteous to ride this ride. And we think if I'm good enough, then I can get to heaven. But here's the problem. Jesus said there's only one way to see the kingdom. 
It's to be born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he be born a second time? Can you enter into his mother's womb a second? To him, it's ridiculous. But Jesus is talking not of natural birth, but of a spiritual rebirth that happens in the heart of somebody who puts their faith in him. Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Later in the New Testament, Titus is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a spiritual son named Titus. And here's what he wrote in chapter 3, describing this transformation, being born again. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lust desires, being driven by our, our own desires. You know, I, I, I'm always, I always think it's interesting when the church is shocked that sinners sin. Serving various lusts and desires, that's who we were, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. It's really sad when Christians do this. Um, but when the kindness of our and love of, of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, talking about Jesus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How many are glad for that? And here's what he did. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. To regenerate means to be born again, that the Holy Spirit does something. So, so when you put your faith in Jesus, when you receive him as your Savior and Lord of your life and put your trust in him, not just that you believe correctly the right information and go, okay, I agree with my statement of faith of my church or I believe this. No, no, you actually put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior. When, when we do that, something happens on the inside of us. It says the Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us new. He says you were once like this, but now you're like this. We see that pictured in the Old Testament with the story of Saul. He says you're going to be changed into another man. You're not going to be the same. You were going one course. You were just looking for a donkey. But now you're going to be royalty. You were just existing. You were just checking off a box. Now you're going to be a king. Now you're going to be a royalty. And that's what Jesus does. He comes into our life, and he takes us from being sinners and makes us saints. Taking us from death and bringing us to life. Taking us from being bound and broken by our own sin and the failure of other people. And then he comes and he says, okay, you've been orphaned by that, but now you're a son, you're a daughter, you're adopted, you're born again, you're a part of the family of God. He gives us a new name and a new nature. Romans eight fifteen, Paul, I love Paul's descriptions of the Holy Spirit. He says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. It's tragic when Christians live their life bound by fear because that's not your inheritance anymore. That's not who you are anymore. That's, and, and here he's not just talking about fear generally. He's talking about a, a fear that separates, that, that drives a wedge between you and God, that you're afraid to approach God. You, you feel like you don't have access to God, like somehow God's got a, a spiritual sledgehammer, and if I just make a wrong move, it's all over. I know, listen, I'm telling you, in 17 years of ministry, I know the number one reason why Christians don't pray. I think there's two reasons. They think they're too busy. But I think deep-rooted, deep down in the inside, there's this fear that says, I can't approach God. I messed up today. 
I'm too far. I'm too, and, and, and we feel like we've fallen short, so we don't approach God. But here's what I tell people all the time. Don't ever run from God, run to God. Run to him. We think God won't answer prayer because we've, we don't measure up. But Jesus gave us a new nature. We're adopted. We can approach. He says, you don't have the spirit of bondage again to fear. Don't, don't live bound by fear any longer. Don't live bound by shame any longer. Here's what you did receive. The Holy Spirit here is called the spirit of adoption. You can see behind me. The spirit of adoption. The, the Jews didn't have adoption as a part of their regular culture, but the Romans did. And so Paul would point to this because the Romans, when somebody was adopted, they weren't treated like a second-class son or daughter. They were adopted and given the full rights, access, and privilege of a natural-born son or daughter. And that's the picture. He says, you have God the Son, Jesus, who went to a cross. The, the, the sinless lamb took our sin on himself so that we who are separate from God could be put right. To put it in financial terms, he took you out of the red, put you into the black. He took your sin, gave you his righteousness. And, and, and this is so huge. He says, You're, you have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, which is not just a band. I know, bad joke. Okay. It, some of you are like, I've never heard of that. But it's, it's, it's an expression. It's like our equivalent would be Daddy. Our equivalent would be a, it's a, it's a personal expression. Dad, Father, Abba, Father. It's the, it's the heart that cries out. The Spirit, verse 16, listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So, so how does God let you know? How does God lead you? And we'll talk about that in a second. He bears witness with your spirit. There's something on the inside that's different. I remember at seven years old, we were good Christmas and Easter Christians. And I came to a Christmas program, but I'll tell you what, I thank God for this. My parents took me to a Christmas program at seven years old, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I remember at seven years old, I didn't even understand any of it. I didn't. And I literally, from looking back to seven years old, I remember a moment thinking to myself, I feel totally new. I was seven. Like, I don't know. I was only a child, so I didn't even have siblings to mistreat. So, but I, but I, I knew something on the inside had changed. And even years of my life, as I would run from God, there was something in the inside that was convicting, leading, challenging me. You're made for more than this. Remember last week, the mirror? Like, this isn't who you are. And it's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Just like God's word is a mirror, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, this isn't who you are. You're adopted. You're a part of the family of God. And this is amazing. Verse 17, I'll just give you this. If you're children, then you're also heirs. Jesus got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. That blows my mind. I'm sorry. I, like, I, I, I'm just like, God, I'm good if you just get me out of hell and get me, like, get to heaven. <laughs> like, I just want to make it. But he doesn't, just, he doesn't just forgive us. He restores. He gives us a purpose. A home in heaven, but a purpose right here on earth. Turn the world upside down. 
<laughs> Heirs of God. Let's talk about how he changes us. He gives us a new nature, but even as a Christian, I mean, no, there's still some stuff that he's wanting to work on. He changes our heart. We're born again, but sometimes we still think like we used to. We still talk like we used to. Well, Pastor, why, why, why is one of the ways the Holy Spirit works, you know, people speaking in tongues? That just seems weird. I think it's because you know something's happening when God gets a hold of your mouth. It's quiet. Second <laughs> Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. And I've shared this before, but I want to revisit this because this is so important. Because he describes, we've seen the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit's described in a lot of different ways. But here he's called the spirit of the Lord. Lord means ruler, boss, owner. He's in charge. And this is important because the promise of liberty is attached to surrender. Wherever I invite Jesus to be Lord over that area of my life. Now, I know we prayed and we, we said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And there's something about God that he's absolutely convinced that he's Lord. <laughs> and when he's Lord, I'm not. And then he, through the Holy Spirit and through God's word, will highlight certain areas. And he says, okay, let's work on this right now. Let's work on your attitude. Let's work on how you speak to your spouse or your kids. Let's, let's work on, you know, your commute. I love a small town. I don't have a commute anymore. It's great. It's beautiful. Because most of my issues were during the commute. Anyway. But it's the Holy Spirit working in us, and he's showing us, and he's leading us, and he's saying, hey, I want to help you. But for there to be freedom in that area, there has to be surrender in that area. Where I go, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to trust you to help me. I tried it my way. It didn't work. But I want to invite you to do it. I want to invite the Holy Spirit to do it. And when we, when we pray those kind of prayers and we give that kind of yes to God, the result is always liberty, freedom, freedom. Places we were once bound, we're no longer bound. Places we once struggled to trust God, we're now free. And here's the, what the Holy Spirit does, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Remember last week, the mirror of God's word? As we behold the mirror, we find out who we are, and we find out who we're not. But he, here he says, he says, as we're spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, as you're praying, as you're getting in the word, as you're worshiping, as you're gathering as the church, something's happening. You're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and you're being transformed. There's that word again. I think most people like change. They just don't know what change is supposed to be. They like the idea of change. Let me rephrase that. They like the idea of change. Most people like the idea of change more than actually changing. That's a different sermon. Um, but just like the old Taco Bell sermon, change is good. I was raised on commercials, I'm sorry. But here's, here's, here's where we see as we behold him, as we spend time with God, something begins to happen because we're transformed. And he tells us what we're being changed into. 
There's actually no question. There's no ambiguity. Can I tell you, God's not trying to change you to be like anybody else in this room. That would be conformity. He's not trying to change you to be more like me or more like Jenner or more like Jason and Leslie. He's not trying to make you more like anybody in this room. That's what religion does. He doesn't do that. In fact, if I try to make people like me, I failed. If I try to make my kids like me, I failed. Do you know what the goal is? Making people like Jesus. The Holy Spirit transforms us into what? It's right behind me. The same image. What's the image? It's him. It's Jesus. So the more time I spend with God, the more time I spend in prayer, the more time I spend in his word, the more time the Holy Spirit has access to work in my heart as I say yes to him, something is happening. He's making you and I more like Jesus. He's always the goal. I don't want us to ever lose sight of that. That's why we say at the beginning of our values, Jesus is our message. He's the goal. He's the prize. And I think the church would look a whole lot different if we stopped trying to compete, fight, be like each other, compare ourselves with each other. And we just beheld Jesus and allowed him to bring change in our life. This is so important. I've seen people, we had a, we had a, a girl years ago who was addicted to meth and heroin, showed up, addicted to meth and heroin, and one day got delivered by the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. Became one of our worship leaders. She showed up to church. But can I tell you, this lady came from a messy background, and she didn't dress like a church person. And, and it's amazing what happens when God's doing something the devil likes to show up, and the way he likes to show up is not, you know, I, I'm an Arizona State grad, so we had, like, sun devil pictures all over, and it looked like a little baby devil with pitchforks. Usually the way he really shows up is with religious people. Oh, I, I, I should be careful. I didn't even get to my second or third point. We're almost done. Um, but I, I had a lady go up to us, and, and she's like, she needs to do this. She needs to dress like this. She needs to act this way. She and, and I said, let's let the Holy Spirit do what he's doing because he just saved her from a life of meth and heroin and he's doing something on the inside of her and let's not worry first about conforming the outside. Let's let the Holy Spirit transform the inside. <laughs> okay, anyway. Well, I'll get through the last two real quick. Number two. A new direction. The Holy Spirit gives us a new direction. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit leads us, and one of the major ways he leads us is by whatever he mentioned. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So, so there's that voice on the inside. You used to ha do stuff that didn't bother you. But all of a sudden, now you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, and it's not because somebody stood up here and said, here's the list of our 10 things we don't do in our church. The problem with the list is it's always missing something. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit does something personal and deep. And I love that. I mean, we're, we're experiencing that in city groups where people are saying, God's doing something inside of me. He's inviting me. He's calling me to lay this down. He's calling me to do this. He's calling me to go there. He's, he's stirring something. What's happening? They're being led by the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're sons and daughters. 
That's what he's after. He leads us. And this is so beautiful, 1 Corinthians 2. Jason, if you want to get ready. 1 Corinthians 2. You probably know the first part of this verse. Here's what it says in verse 9. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Church, that's good news. You can't even fathom with your eyes, with the, the best thought I can come up with in my brain. It doesn't even come close to what God's prepared for me and for you. Now, if that was the end of the story, it'd still be good. But let's go to the next verse, verse 10. But God has revealed them. Oh, so, so he's not leaving us in the dark. No, he actually wants to show you what he has for you. He wants to show you what he can do in your marriage. He wants you to show you what he can do with your yes to him, what he can do with your gifts and your calling and the dreams that he's birthed on the inside of you. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, but God has, look at it, verse 10, God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now we have received, verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You, you have no idea. I have no idea fully everything that God has in store. But as I walk with him, you know, I, I remember when my kids were little, the first time we ever, when my, when my my oldest was three. We didn't even hide Easter eggs. We hid Hot Wheel cars because he's been obsessed with cars his entire life. That's why he's a NASCAR fan and I can't understand it. But, but we would take, the, I, I bought every Hot Wheel car I could get my hands on at the store. And I, we would hide them around the house. Well, actually at the time, I think we'd had like a, a one or two bedroom apartment. And I'm hiding them around the apartment. And as he's looking, you know, when they're little, there's some stuff that it's like, you have to make it super obvious. Like, no, no, over there. Why don't you see over there? You know, I'm trying to help him. Because my goal is not to hide from, but hide for. God, why don't you show me? He's not hiding from. He's hiding for because he wants to walk with you and he wants to show you, here's what I've prepared. Here's what I've got in store. Let me lead you. Don't, don't follow your own direction. Follow my spirit. Follow my voice. Follow my lead. When I warn you with the red light saying, don't go there, it's because I have something better. When, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I give you a promise, it's something to hold on to. God reveals that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Third and final point is through the Holy Spirit, He gives us a new power, a new strength to do what we are called to do. Acts 1.8, one last verse, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Christian life without the Holy Spirit's fullness is like 
I've said this so many times, but this is huge. It's like a really pretty car with no gas in the tank. The only way to get it to move anywhere is you got to get out and push. And that's what a lot of people are trying to do with their prayer life. I'm pushing. Not a lot's happening, but I'm pushing. So they do with their Bible reading. I, I, I'm trying to get through it. I'm just trying to, trying to understand more. I'm trying to win a better argument on Facebook. you know what the Holy Spirit does? He empowers your prayer life. He empowers your time in the Word. And He empowers you in your calling. If you've ever looked at somebody and said there's something different about their walk with God, can I tell you what the different thing is? It might be the Holy Spirit. But He's available for every one of us. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray with you. transformation is available and it's possible because of Jesus. Because of his word. Because of God's love for us. A love that rescues. A love that restores. A love that seeks us out and saves us. A love that didn't leave us in our sin but pursued us when we had no thought of God or interest in him. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. 